Welcome to the Aerospace Engineering Podcast. My name is Reiner Groh, Research Fellow of the Royal Academy of Engineering, and on this podcast I have conversations with aerospace pioneers about new technologies at the cutting edge of aerospace design research. Special thanks go to my supporters on Patreon who make this podcast possible. If you enjoy the Aerospace Engineering Podcast and would like to support it, then head over to patreon.com forward slash aerospace. There are multiple levels of support, but pledging even a dollar an episode is highly appreciated. Thanks for your support. We choose to go to the moon in this decade and do the other things, not because they are easy, but because they are hard. Three, two, one, zero. All engine running. Liftoff. We have a liftoff. 32 minutes past the hour. Liftoff on Apollo 11. Houston, uh... Tranquility Base here. The Eagle has landed. Today I'm speaking with Ewan Vilevsky, co-founder and CEO at Anomalous Technologies. Anomalous is a startup based in Edinburgh, Scotland, that uses the latest machine learning and artificial intelligence technologies to enable better quality control of manufactured components. As aerospace engineers, we know that quality control and inspection of flight-critical hardware is essential for guaranteeing safe operation of aircraft. Human visual inspection is naturally a subjective and analog process, which means that flight hardware is typically double and triple checked to high levels of accuracy. This is where the AI tools developed by anomalous technologies are invaluable. By making inspection digital, operational traceability is immediately enhanced. Furthermore, digitization allows the human inspection process to be accompanied by statistical tools that reduce the error rate of missed defects and therefore improve inspection efficiency. Anomalous are already working with global aerospace companies such as Rolls-Royce and Boeing, and the company is currently a member of the first cohort of the ATI Accelerator. In this episode of the podcast, Ewan and I talk about his broad background in aerospace engineering, the challenges of human inspection, how data-centric methods such as AI tools can help to improve inspection accuracy and efficiency, how Anomalous is using their analytic tools to help out in the current coronavirus pandemic, and much, much more. I hope you enjoy this episode as much as I did. But now, without further ado, please enjoy my conversation with Ewan Vilevsky. I'm here with Ewan Vilevsky. Ewan, welcome to the Aerospace Engineering Podcast. Thank you very much, Reiner. Very happy to be here. So before we start talking about your company, Anomalous, I'd like to introduce you to our audience. So take me back a couple of years. How did you get interested in engineering? And uh, what is your background in engineering? So how did I get interested in engineering? I think, I think like a lot of engineers, when I was at high school, I was, I was good at mathematics, I was good at physics, um, but I also liked to build things. So I kind of spent a lot of time um, taking apart um, various different things around the house and trying to put them back together. And um, yeah, a combination of maths, physics, and an interest in how things are made kind of led to me um, being involved in engineering and, and going to do an undergraduate degree in engineering. So I, I went to the University of Glasgow and did an undergraduate degree in mechanical engineering. I, I then um, graduated from university and I spent some time in Germany where I worked at Adidas as a design engineer and um, worked on things like the World Cup football and Predator football boots. It was a really fun time. Um, and then I actually went, um, I decided to go do a PhD 
And so I did my PhD at the University of Oxford in, in engineering science. Um, and that was actually sponsored by the, the jet engine uh, company, uh, Rolls-Royce. And so I was there for four years, um, then moved to the, uh, did a postdoc at the Advanced Farming Research Centre, which was, um, again, uh, very aerospace focused, working with companies like Rolls-Royce, um, Boeing, Ober Duval, um, I then went and did postdocs in the US, where I was at Carnegie, um, at Cornell and Carnegie Mellon Universities, and primarily worked on US Department of Defense funded projects. And then I came back to the UK and actually was an academic at the University of Glasgow, where I led a, a research group that was looking at um, kind of the interface between material science, um, mechanics, um, and simulation. Oh, wow, that sounds really, really fascinating. And I mean, it's it's quite interesting that you spent some time at Adidas. So that sounds like it must have been quite um, a design engineering um, role. And then you you went back and actually did a PhD. So what, what was your thinking behind uh, starting or wanting to do a, a PhD when you were already working uh, in industry? So the role I had um, Adidas, so I was, I was a design engineer intern. So I spent um, I spent time over there working within the Adidas innovation team, which is a, kind of like a, a skunk works team that is deployed onto sort of, um, sort of really high profile projects to deliver innovation and engineering know-how. So the although kind of the perception might be that there's not a lot of engineering goes into sports, there's actually a huge amount of engineering goes into it. So everything from understanding the aerodynamics of uh, football, which sounds relatively simple, but it's very complicated, um, to understanding um, how to optimize traction under different conditions for um, football boot studs, for example, um, which again is a very complicated engineering problem to solve. So there's actually a huge amount of engineering goes in and they actually fund quite a lot of um, PhDs and um, research actually within the UK, particularly at Loughborough and Bath. Um, and, and so I'd kind of been looking at that. I've been working as a, an, in, like an intern engineer for a while. And one of the things that kind of frustrated me was that I felt like I'd done my undergraduate degree, but there was a, so much more to learn that I hadn't been able to dig deep on as an undergraduate. And so I wanted to go back to, to university and really be able to deep dive on some of the topics that I was really interested in, which mainly for me were around mechanics and materials. Well, I can definitely relate to that. For me, it was very similar that I, I felt like that there was so much more to learn. And that's why I also went back to university to get a PhD. So I can definitely mm -hmm. relate to that. So in terms of your uh, academic background, the mechanics that you were that you were talking about and the kind of I think you were doing analyses of forming uh, processes or so metal forming processes. How did can you maybe describe kind of what the challenge was there, what what you were trying to do in your academic studies, but then also as a postdoctoral researcher? And how, how does that then link into your work now with artificial intelligence? Sure. OK, so the. So my um, my focus on my, for my PhD was um, around impact engineering. So I was looking at um, uh, containment casing for jet engines and how to improve um, the ability of materials to contain um, fan blades when they come um, become dislodged um, from the, the the disc in a, in a blade off event. So a lot of kind of high speed impact, looking at kind of how materials behave under high speed impact and um, 
understanding the kind of link between our material's microstructure and its mechanical properties. So that's kind of that was kind of the the route that I took through my entire academic career. So it was really kind of focused on understanding how um, how the material at the microstructural level, so things like in, in metals where I primarily worked, understanding how the, the grain structure, the grain orientations, and different um, solute atoms within the, the material, how that affects the mechanical performance of the material at a kind of micro and mesoscopic scale. And then sort of using that to understand um, how to design better parts by then embedding that within simulations. I think kind of my, my worldview was that the, the kind of world of experimental um, mechanics and simulations needed to kind of be joined together. So we would um, think about run effectively every experiment was a way to um, link to a simulation of that. So it was like a, a, a kind of, there was like a digital representation of the, the kind of microstructure embedded in simulations and we'd kind of try and link those worlds together. Mm -hmm. So how that then links to what I do now is one of the kind of things that I realized when I was um, spending a lot of time working with industry partners was that the engineering companies generate huge amounts of data, um, whether that's from experiments um, or um, manufacturing processes, quality control, for example, or um, when that an actual um, asset is out in service and it's um, being utilized by um, customers, then obviously that feedbacks data as well. But the, the kind of traditional world, uh, the tr traditional engineering world hasn't necessarily caught up with the, the, kind, of, the, the kind of new software engineering world where the, the traditional engineering world doesn't have the, the data infrastructure that they need to manage all that data that they collect. And they don't um, necessarily utilize it as well as they should do. So, um, so what we focus on at Anomalous is really creating the data platform that allows engineering companies to ingest data from lots of different sources, and then using that to create what I would call kind of next generation engineering tools. So AI-driven design processes and AI-driven inspection processes. So effectively, kind of the, the kind of next generation of what I would call data-driven engineering. Okay, absolutely. It makes perfect sense. Yeah. So you've just mentioned one of the aspects that your company Anomalous is working on, which is, um, I guess, in or improving inspection of technical equipment. And I guess in an in an aircraft setting, or perhaps a jet engine uh, setting. So what is the current problem that we have in terms of inspection of aircraft um, or jet engines? So the challenge associated with inspection in the aerospace world and, and generally across engineering is that it's still a very manual and paper-driven process. So, so if you look at um, a typical inspection process, there will be a part comes into an inspection bay. It is manually inspected by a human typically. They might use um, some um, some sort of imaging tool, whether it's like a macroscope or a boroscope, to image the part. But then the data associated with that part generally isn't recorded anywhere. Oftentimes it lives on um, isolated siloed desktops or laptops um, or on a USB that's kept in a, a cupboard somewhere. Um, and when I, when I said that inspection is a paper-driven process, it truly is a paper-driven process where we see um, quite literally, you know, hundreds sheets of paper that define the inspection process for a particular part and those are kind of manually filled in with kind of handwritten notes and manually stamped by inspector to say this part is safe to fly 
So it's a very manual paper-driven process. And one of the things that we do is we digitize that process and then we put in place the infrastructure needed to collect the data associated with um, those inspection processes. Okay, and I mean, I guess so we're really talking about a safety-critical uh, aspect of the entire industry. I mean, the, the um, airspace engineering or the aviation sector has been known to be quite a safe industry. We've got a great track record of <clears throat> learning from our previous mistakes. Um, so it's quite surprising to me that there is this quite paper-heavy um, process in place, but it still seems to be working relatively well. So um, wh what are kind of like some of the things where um, an artificial intelligence solution can really help to, um, to, to make the system even more robust? Sure. So the the way, so obviously, like I, the, the aerospace industry and the aviation industry are extremely safe. I mean, quite. I mean, it's an amazing uh, achievement of aerospace and aviation engineers that the, we've managed to get to the levels of safety that we've achieved. And and it's a it's a system that's evolved over time to mitigate risk. So, um, we typically do that by um, putting depth into processes. So that means that inspection rarely happens once, it happens multiple times, it happens a lot, both in time and in um, resources. So um, we'll have the same inspection carried out by, for example, three different inspectors, if it's a really safety critical part. Um, and obviously that will be inspected at points um, throughout time. So it might be um, every day if it's a, a line inspection or once every six months if it's a more of a heavy check um, inspection process. So so we, we put in place um, we would manage the risk by putting depth into the processes and making sure that there is like some mechanism to capture it. And that all obviously then leads to inefficiencies because um, we're inspecting things that don't necessarily need to be inspected. And the, where an artificial intelligence solution can come in is by potentially um, reducing the amount of resource you need to apply to um, put in place those inspection by depth. Um, processes. So, for example, rather than having to inspect something three times, maybe you only inspect it twice, and then an AI checks mm -hmm. the, as the third check, for example. Um, or it could be that you start thinking about how you can do inspection by exception. So you only inspect the things where you know that the AI has um, flagged as definitely um, requires attention, for example. Um, or you can flip it on the other way and say that the AI only detects things that are bad and you or that are good and you then push it so, so that the, the people are the human always is in the loop to make the final decision so there are lots of different efficiency gains that can be put in place around that um, the other thing is um, as we've kind of seen from the medical industry um, that human and AI teams are much more accurate than either humans on their own or AI on their own. So we can put in place teaming systems where we can get a human and an AI to work together to then um, to make the inspection process more accurate and more robust. Okay, and I think this is called, uh, I, I guess, a cyborg, if I'm not mistaken, in the in the literature that I think it comes from, I think that the chess world, that if you have a chess player, that teams up with a computer, they're actually better than the computer on its own. That's right, exactly right. Yes. So, so I think I think there's a there's a perception about the, the current generation of AI people. It's given it's been very much hyped. Um, in reality, what the current generation of AI is is very advanced pattern matching and 
systems effectively. So they do very well at um, you know, understanding the underlying patterns in data and then using that to then create kind of predictive models that you can then use to um, identify certain patterns in data. What they don't do particularly well at is um, things that are outside the bounds of the data that they've already seen. Mm-hmm. Whereas that's something that humans are very good at. Humans are very good at spotting things that look different from what they've seen before. And uh, we've got a very, our kind of brains are seem to be designed to identify sort of anomalies and things that don't quite, um, don't quite sort of kind of make sense to the world. So, so I think, you know, the combination of those two, where you've got like a very robust pattern matching system, um, and then a human that's able to kind of identify things that are a little bit odd and maybe add a little bit of creativity into the system, they kind of come together to be a very powerful kind of combination of skills. Okay, yeah. So what are some of the services and products that your company Anomalous provides? So how does a customer, um, be it a a big aircraft manufacturer or a jet engine manufacturer, actually interact with your AI software? So is there perhaps a specific, I don't know, camera that they that they use to then inspect a part, which then, you know, that data gets fed into um, an AI platform? How does that kind of the the, the product services and uh, that process work? Sure. So we've at the, the kind of front end, we've got uh, an application we call Capture, which allows you to capture data on your parts. So that is a, a relatively simple web application that can be deployed onto a tablet or onto a laptop or desktop. And then that just kind of guides the inspector through the process of inspecting a, a part or an assembly um, and kind of guides them to collect data as they're kind of going through that inspection process. So that kind of captures the data and then that's sent up to our cloud environment. Um, obviously, we work with a lot of um, large aerospace companies which are very um, closely linked to defense. And so we have to manage what we mean by the cloud. The cloud can be an on-premise solution. It can be a completely um, air-gapped solution as well, where we could effectively create a cloud in a box. Um, but the kind of ideal situation for us is that we utilize kind of the, the wonderful world of AWS and Microsoft Azure, where we can put it into a, a, a really robust cloud environment and um, then get all the benefits of a, the kind of the bigger cloud world. Um, and so, so that's kind of how it kind of operates in terms of the hardware associated with it. We're we're hardware agnostic. We've deliberately kind of stayed away from uh, designing and building hardware. We want to be the interface layer for for hardware manufacturers and systems integrators, where we can um, be the place where they they can send the data and then push it into a cloud environment. So, So we're agnostic to the type of imaging device used, but typically we see things ranging from somebody capturing data from a tablet um, or uh, a kind of small mini, um, a small kind of computer vision rig where we'll have like a, a camera on a, a on an arm system, for example, or a, or a camera on a robotic arm that can capture images of parts from various different angles. So that's kind of the typical setups that we see. Okay, and then, so I guess there, there's probably also quite a few uh, tangential benefits uh, to this technology. For for example, I can imagine that kind of like an AI, AI tool could be used to uh, train junior inspectors, for example, or you know anyone that is new to the job doesn't really know what a defect looks like could be potentially be trained with the help of uh, uh, one of these systems. 
Yeah, totally. And that's actually built into our software as well. So we have the ability to give feedback to inspectors and you know, and we um, we have the, the ability to um, have effectively remote inspection where we can have a, an inspector that um, is remote from the site that can be training a junior inspector that's kind of on the um, kind of on the, the shop floor doing the inspections. So they can interact with each other via comments and um, correct where mistakes have been made. And there's a, so we can add in that kind of training aspect there as well. So that's definitely part of what we deliver as well. Okay. So um, what stage um, are you currently at as a company? So I, I know that you're part of the uh, Airspace Technology Institute uh, Accelerator, who um, a representative was previously uh, on this podcast. So, um, you know, what stage is the company currently at? And are there any kind of specific partners that you are currently partnering up with? Yep. So we are, we're still an early stage tech startup. We are, um, so we've raised a small amount of uh, pre-seed investment. We uh, have we're in revenue, we're in profit, we're doing well. Um, currently, it's um, we're still relatively small, um, but we've got ambitions to grow significantly over the next six to 12 months. Obviously, the, the current um, um, situation with the coronavirus is um, making that a little bit more challenging than it usually would be. But um, we have um, we've kind of been on a little bit of a crazy journey the last uh, I could say like nine to six to nine months. We um, so we we as as you said, we joined the ATI Boeing Accelerator program. So via that program, we've um partnered with um the ATI, obviously the Aerospace Technology Institute, and um we've also partnered with Boeing, who've invested in us via their their venture arm, which is called Horizon X, and we are also working with GKN Aerospace, um, and we were actually just started a project with GKN on the, the ventilator challenge and um, where we're working with them to improve the inspection processes um, associated with the um, building the ventilators for the UK challenge. So, Oh, that's very interesting. Could you talk a little bit more about that? Just because I guess it is a current uh, topic of, of interest. So I guess the UK has issued this ventilator challenge where um, basically the entire engineering industry has been asked to help out with the shortage uh, of ventilators to combat um, the coronavirus. So could you uh, could you talk about, you know, the, the, the help that you're providing in terms of um, this ventilator challenge? Sure. So it's um, it's interesting because the, the, you know, it's um, so the, the challenge is really that the supply chains need to be put in place, the the manufacturing assembly processes need to be put in place and and all the inspection processes need to be put in place to build um, thousands of ventilators within an extremely short period of time and the the UK engineering industries have, have kind of came together um, lots of kind of there are a number of different consortia that have came together and it's a uh, it's extremely impressive to see how quickly everybody's kind of rallied around and put in place things that would usually take months, if not years, to put in place, they've managed to do it in a, 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 kind of a couple of weeks. That's absolutely unbelievable to see the, what the, what's been achieved in a short period of time. The, one of the challenges is that, obviously, if you're, for example, an aerospace manufacturer and you are shifting to do medical equipment manufacture to support the, the, the UK ventilator challenge, then you need to, you, your team of 
people that are assembling the products and inspecting the products, they will have not seen them before. So you'll, they'll be dealing with parts that they've never seen before. They'll be dealing with assembly processes they've never seen before. And they'll be dealing with a new kind of quality system that they've not obviously had to deal with before. So where we're helping out is one of the things that we do is we can use. Um, so what we do is we create, we take um, CAD data from um, from engineering design. And we then use that to create synthetic data. So it's kind of computer renders of parts. And then we train our AI to automatically identify those parts in real life. So we're working with the GTN. We've built a small application that allows uh, people that are assembling um, the, the ventilators to be effectively be able to take an image of the part, and then it will automatically identify the part. And then the kind of long-term aim is to then give them well, relative long-term is in a couple of weeks' time. We'll be able to um, give them kind of the instructions about how to assemble it properly and and then inspect it properly as well. One of the other challenges is because of the the, the lockdown situation, there's a, a real shortage of um, inspectors. And so we're hoping to be able to put in place that remote inspection capability that I was talking about before, which means that um, inspectors that are remote from the site will be able to see what's going on with an assembly and um, final inspection process, and then sign off on the part remotely, which is um, which obviously means that they don't have to travel to the site, which is effectively impossible under lockdown conditions. Yeah, it's, it's a really great example, actually, of how software to a large degree is, you know, application agnostic, that if you've built something to inspect, I don't know, you know, medical images of from MRI machines, or in this case, uh, jet engines or aircraft components, you can then equally and very quickly deploy the same solution on a in an almost a slight, well a slightly different problem, but uh, it's equally applicable in so many different uh, different areas. And I think that's probably one of the, the the major benefits of this kind of like data centric engineering um, sector that is starting to grow um, worldwide. Oh, totally, and that's um, it, it's interesting. Like through the. Um, the, the kind of current crisis is going to affect us. Highlighted a lot of the strengths of um, the type of solutions that we provide, which is you know, this move towards cloud-based solutions, um, and um, the, which means that people can operate from remote locations and has, have access to the data and the information that they need um, quickly. Um, is, is a obviously a, a global trend that's been going on for a number uh, for well over a decade now um, and the, it's interesting to see that the, you know, in some ways this crisis is really kind of pushing more of the traditional industries towards that new world because they're having to adopt the technologies to, to maintain their operations and I think you're definitely going to see that within manufacturing more broadly and um, is that the, the this kind of this crisis is going to certainly accelerate the usage of kind of the new data cloud-based engineering systems so yeah absolutely and i mean i can only commend you for for helping out in this time of crisis it's absolutely great um that that you're helping out so um you know th thanks a lot for taking the time today um you wanted to, to to talk to me just as a final closing questions how can listeners um stay up to date with uh, your developments of you know how anomalous is going to be developing in in the near future Yep. So, um, so obviously you can just email me. So, and I'm more than happy to provide you information about what we do. Um, so that's just you at anomalous.ai. Um, and you can follow me on Twitter, um, which is just, um, at Ewan Walewski. 
and um, hopefully we'll be able to provide links to that so I don't have to spell out my surname to everybody. <laughs> um, and um, yeah, and other, otherwise just um, follow the company on, on LinkedIn and um, Twitter and you'll find out more about us. Okay, perfect. And I'll definitely putting, you know, show notes for this episode um, on the Aerospace Engineering blog webpage. So um, you'll find all the details about Anomalous there. So thanks again uh, for taking the time, to get, uh, time uh, today, Ewan, and um, all the best for the future. Excellent. Thank you very much, Raina. If you would like to learn more about Anomalous, then head over to aerospaceengineeringblog.com forward slash podcast where you will find show notes about everything we discussed in today's episode. And if you enjoy the Aerospace Engineering Podcast, then there are a number of ways you can support it. You can leave a review on Apple Podcasts, wherever else you're tuning in. You can share on social media with your friends and family, or you can support the podcast directly on Patreon. And with that, thank you very much for listening and talk to you next time.